Please take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 6 this morning. Uh, We're going to start off in Isaiah 6, but it is only going to be in brief. Um, Like I said last week, I love to take time and just jump right into one text of Scripture and just walk through it completely. Well, this this study we're doing is it kind of lends to taking several passages of Scripture. So we're going to walk through several passages of Scripture, and today we're going to see the heartbeat of Isaiah 6. Um, in just a minute, but before we do that, what are we talking about? We're on this month-long journey on church essentials. Uh, We're talking about church essentials for church membership. We actually have a class that we'll be doing on this, Uh, but as we talked as an elder team about this, we said, you know what? Let's do this as a whole church. Let's take a month and walk through our four weeks in this class and just talk about the essential elements of our church. So that's what we're doing. Last week we talked about our foundation for everything we do. And what is the foundation for everything we do? It is what? God's Word. It is what you hold on your lap right now, what we have the privilege of reading and studying every day. God's Word. Today we're talking about the primary motivation for everything we do in the church, and that is clearly God's glory. But before we even get into that, we talked about this word, essentials. What do we mean, mean essentials? Last week I shared some illustrations of, of essentials. Um, we talked about going backpacking. Back in the wilderness, and what are you going to do? You're going to pack in your bag the necessary items that you need to, for, to survive for three, four, five days. Those are the essentials, what you need to survive. I kind of made light of it, but what you need to survive, men, when you go on a grocery run for your wife is exactly what is on that written out list. Those are essentials. If you do not come home with those things, there will be a problem. We need these essentials to survive. Uh, This week I was thinking and and, uh, walking through the essentials of living in California. This is a great state, (laughs) especially when it comes to your vehicles. Amen? Wow. So we have a perfectly running vehicle. Uh, not perfectly running. No vehicle's really perfectly running, but it was adequate and I was having no problems with it. But you know the whole smog thing, right? <laughs> Praise God for the smog thing. Well, I took it in there. Running perfectly and there was an, uh, one part of a muffler that was changed out four years ago that was perfectly adequate in 49 states, I believe, except for the one that had CNA on it. So guess what I have the joy of doing? I'm not going to do it in particular. There's a man in this congregation that's so gracious to help me out with that. But that is an essential. You need to live in this state. Apparently, I need a muffler that has the right four digits on it that matches this state. It's essential for my survival to drive around in this state. I need those numbers. So we kind of make light of these things. However, there are essentials in our theology, in our doctrine. This is, these are things that bring us together. A lot of times we think of those things that kind of distance us from even other believers or other churches or denominations. Well, I love to dwell on what holds us together, what brings us together. These are things that we can agree on every Sunday And hopefully you hear of these things that we're talking about every single Sunday, multiple times on a Sunday. 
The point is this. There are theological essentials. These things we have to hold on to in order to survive as a church. Last week we talked about the essential of God's word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we cannot make it without God's word. Personally or corporately. Peter in 1 Peter 2 says, as a newborn baby, you better desire the sincere milk of the word. In other words, you cannot survive without God's word. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we need God's word. Well, we're going to talk about another essential today. This is a massive theme when it comes to the church. And here it is. God's glory is to be our exclusive motivation. What do we affirm as a church? We affirm that God's word is the foundation for all we do. We also affirm that God's glory is the primary motivation for everything we do. Every choice to be made as a church, every program that's run, every study that's enjoyed, every song that is sung, every discussion that we have, every, every minute of fellowship, all of it should be wrapped around this theme that God is a God who deserves all the glory. So I hope with me you can take some time this morning and enjoy meditating. This is meant to be an encouraging sermon. I'm going to tell you, it, it, it's, it's sobering when you go through the scriptures and look at the glory of God. But it's also incredibly encouraging when you go through the scriptures and see the glory of God. So we're going to take a couple minutes today. Um, we're going to actually push to get done here probably about 11.30 tonight. Some might have to go. That's completely understandable. But we want to do a couple more songs today. And um, we wanted to show that highlight of that thing on Friday night. But we'll probably push to about 11.30. If you need to go early, completely understandable. Um, we'll just keep pushing through to about 11.30. Polaris. What in the world is this thing Polaris? Who, who knows what Polaris is? We're not talking about those crafts that are on land or on sea. So you thought you did, right? Right? On snow. Some of you are like, whoa, nope. <laughs> what is Polaris? Anybody know what Polaris is? Maybe this will help. If I can change it up here. There it is right there. No? <laughs> All right. What are we talking about Polaris? Okay, I'm going to use my handy do tool here. And I'm going to see. This is Polaris. <laughs> what are we talking about? Polaris, the North Star. All right. If you take the Big Dipper right there, you can kind of see the ladle there. And navigation tool, you take the ladle of, or, or you take the end of the, the North Star and draw a line straight there. You come to a star that is directly above the North Pole. For hundreds and thousands of years, this star has been the primary navigation tool for anyone in the northern hemisphere. Sailors, for hundreds of years, thousands of years actually, have used the North Star to guide them to directly the place they need to be. As you watch time lapse, it's awesome to see how all the stars in the sky are spinning and you see the constancy of this Polaris, the North Star. This is a constant in the skies. I love the story of the North Star because of its ability to consistently direct anyone seeking navigation. Now, I want to make a massive jump to theology. Let's take this metaphor of the North Star, the Polaris, and talk about what is the North Star of our theology. 
What is the constant that we are to look at all the time to never take our eyes off as a church? This is something that is to direct every movement that we make as a church. Every plan, every prayer time, every study is to be directed by this North Star. What is it? Well, it's on the top of your page today. It is the glory of an almighty God. And I think we get a glimpse of this in Isaiah 6. I would love to to stand here today and just develop this chapter. This will be for another time. But I want to say in Isaiah 6, this is Isaiah's vision of the throne room of heaven. We just sang a lot of songs about God's glory, the throne room of heaven. I loved those songs we sang this morning. But Isaiah, in his vision, he gets a vision of the, the glory of God as the seraphim are praising God worshiping God and crying out to this holy God. And in one verse, we have a a massive theme that's found in all of the scriptures, and here's what they say. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, or the Lord Almighty, some of your translations will say. The whole earth is full of what? His glory. This is not something light in scriptures. The holiness of God is is an absolutely serious thing to discuss and to interact with. To the point when you think of the glory of God in scriptures, lives were taken. We're talking about interacting with the Shekinah glory of God. We're talking about interacting with the glory of God in the Old Testament in the holiest of all. God's glory is a serious thing. So... The question is this, what is God's glory? (laughs) What is this? Okay, so there's certain things we throw out and we just expect that everybody kind of knows what we're talking about, right? (laughs) I kind of refer to those as Christianese. One of those Christianese words, the glory of God. What is this glory? If we were to define it, as I mentioned a minute ago, I was listening to a preacher who said this is any definition you would give would, would essentially be woefully inadequate. To take 30 minutes and try to explain, define the glory of God, it's going to be woefully inadequate. Well, here's kind of a summary of our best shot. <laughs> it is the supreme splendor, beauty, and majesty and of, our, of our matchless God. It is his incomparable and unsurpassed magnificence. Some theologians call it the sum total of all of his character, nature, and attributes, primarily his holiness. As you go through the scriptures, you see the holiness of God and the glory of God married together in so many verses. It is a display of God's holiness. The summary of God's glory in the scriptures is found in this one phrase. There is none like you. Uh, We just sang a song about that. There is no one like you. This is found all the way through the Old Testament where when you talk of God's glory, here's the theme. It's it's what Jesus, or God himself says in Isaiah 46, 9. Amid Babylonian idolatry with God's people, with his people, he says this. I am God, there is no other I am God, and there is none like me, directly from the mouth of God. Jeremiah the prophet says this, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. A couple weeks ago, we studied the the prayer and praise of, of Hannah. Do you remember this in 1 Samuel 2? One of the deepest theological points found in the Old Testament comes from this mother 
And she cries out this, there is none holy like the Lord. (laughs) There's none besides you. There is no rock like our God. So when we talk of God's glory, what are we talking about? We're talking about his supreme splendor. He outshines everything. We're talking about his beauty and majesty. I threw a couple words up there. Some of you like studying the original languages, the Old Testament in Hebrew or Aramaic, and then the New Testament in Greek. The first word there is, is kavod. It's a Hebrew word. And I love this word because it's talking, in this sense, as you, as you look at the different uses of this word, it's talking about something that has a lot of weight to it. It's weighty worth. When you compare one element to another, there's one that has more weight to it, and that's the one you want to embrace because it's worth more. So the word in the Old Testament for for God's glory is one that weighs more. Well, I love the other word up there. It's in the Greek. It's doxa. I mean, same kind of concept, but a bit of a different metaphor. So the Old Testament word for glory is more like that is weighty. The New Testament word is that is bright. That outshines everything. In the Old Testament, this weighs more. In the New Testament, this outshines anything that would ever come close to. In other words, you can't hold a candle to it. (laughs) Do you understand what I mean? You can't come close to this. God's glory outshines everything. So then, the practical question I have, and I love to make it practical, is this. Okay, this God of supreme splendor, beauty, and majesty, this matchless God, How could I even come close to giving him glory? What does it mean? We use this term all the time. What does it mean for you to glorify God? What does it mean for me to glorify God? Well, I love this discussion because it means to make God's already existent glory visible in everything I do. I'm going to tell you what what glorifying God does not mean. To glorify God does not mean you can add to his glory. Remember, we said it is unmatched glory. You cannot add to the brightest shining star in the universe. You cannot add to the weight of his glory, nor can you add to his splendor. But simply what it means to glorify God is to put it on display, to make it visible. How can I glorify God? Here's how I can glorify God. God, it is to ascribe to God worth, splendor, beauty, majesty, all that he deserves. Um, there's a, a fella, a pastor in Minnesota, written over 50 books, uh, a pastor, theologian, writer, um, and his, the theme of all of his books, when, when he dies, and who knows how long he's going to live, but when he dies, he's going to be remembered for one phrase. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. John Piper. What's the thought? And here's what John Piper says. What does it mean to glorify God? It means the going public of God's infinite worth. (laughs) So what does it mean for you and I to glorify God at Cross Point Community Church? You know what it means? It means we're taking it public. We're taking God's unmatched glory and we're shining it out as much as we possibly can this is what it means to glorify god we realize that in the westminster short of catechism as we've taught our children we hear often what is the chief end of man to glorify god and enjoy him forever this is not a light thing 
So what I want us to do this morning is to take some time and let's look at some snapshots of God's glory. Let's do our best, even though it will be woefully inadequate, let's do our best to take some looks at what the glory of God at Cross Point Community Church might look like. This is an essential. What does God's glory look like for us? What does God's glory look like in theology in the Bible? And let's start with this one. God's glory relates to all three persons of the Trinity. From the onset, I want to mention that this is a massive point to be made in regard to modern cults and world religions. Why do we put this as one of our essential elements of our doctrine here at Cross Point Community Church? It's because this has been so tampered with. The Trinity is massive when it comes to doing what we do. When it comes to any action we have, when we talk of the glory of God, we cannot separate and dichotomize the persons of the Trinity. When we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about the great three in one. When we're talking about the Trinity, we're talking about one God and three co-equal yet distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Clearly taught in scriptures are three points about this Trinity, and I'm just going to mention them. Uh, a fellow by the name of Wayne Gruden writes these out very articulately. God is three persons, clearly taught in your scriptures. Each person of the Trinity is fully God, clearly taught in scriptures. Yet there is one God, clearly taught in scriptures. So I'm I'm just going to say this. Do we fully understand all the inner workings of the Trinity? Absolutely not. But do we trust it? Absolutely yes. When we think of the Trinity, we go to the scriptures and we realize that each person of the triune God is related to this glorious splendor. Each person. Um, I put a a verse up there, Hebrews 1.3. When you generally think of Hebrews, you're thinking of promoting the author of Hebrews, whoever that might be. A lot of people think it might be Paul. That's a good chance. We don't know for sure who wrote that. Uh, We know the Holy Spirit did, but the human author But this whole book, when you think of the book of Hebrews, you're thinking about promoting the deity of Jesus Christ. And I love how the author of Hebrews here beautifully articulate that it's not just the glory of God, it is glory of the radiance of Jesus Christ. Let me just read these verses if you'd follow along. Starting off the book, Hebrews 1, long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. Who's his son? Jesus Christ, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And I love the description in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What's the point? If you go to the next chapter, here's what the author says of this book. He says, Jesus Christ is crowned with glory and honor, Hebrews 2, 7. When we talk about the glory of God, it's just not talking about God the Father. It's talking about the glory of God the Son. Let's look at another passage, John 1, 14. John, writing this as an older man, remembering back to the glory of Jesus Christ, and he writes this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the word? As Jesus. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
We would carry on into Paul's theology and Paul's epistles in the book of 2 Corinthians. Paul writing to a church that really kind of had some messed up theology. A lot of the churches that epistles were written to did. Practical theology and, and, and just regular theology, systematic theology. Here's what Paul says. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. What Paul does here is he connects the glory of God to not just God the Father, God the Son, but also to God the Holy Spirit. How does he say that in verse 18? You can follow along on the screen. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other, to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. When you go through scriptures, what's the point? God's glory is equally shared by each member of the Trinity. Again, this is a massive point when it comes to theology that distinguishes us from modern cults and world religions that might embrace the glory of God the Father, but God the Son, he's just a man. That might embrace God the Father and God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit, now this is just some force. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, we hold to the fact in the scriptures that the Trinity is consumed with the glory of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Let's go to another distinction. God's glory pertains to all of his attributes. What are we talking about? God's glory is not exclusive to just the attributes that we like to hear about. But God's glory relates to all of his attributes. God's glory is seen in his just, his righteous wrath, just like it is seen in his merciful kindness. God's glory surrounds all of his attributes, also known as perfections. God's glory is not exclusive to just the attributes that we like. God's glory is all about his perfections, all of his perfections. I mean, there's so many passages we could go to. In my mind, I think of the, the, the flow of thought in the book of Romans and Paul talking in Romans about how God has redeemed mankind. We were all sinners and Christ died for sinners. And now we, through justification, come, can come close to the glory of God, which we'll look at in just a minute. And at the end of all of this, in chapter 11, what does he say? Leading into the practical nature of chapter 12, he says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. Right there, he's throwing attributes of God at us. He's realizing how massive the discussion is. Here are his attributes. God is the God of wisdom and knowledge and judgment. How inscrutable are his ways. And then he asks a question. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? In other words, who in here can tell God what to do? God, you shouldn't do it that way. Come on, really, God? Let's try this avenue. <laughs> and Paul is acknowledging the fact that God, in all the beauty of his attributes, he knows exactly what's going on. He is God. And then he says, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. I mean, there's so many passages we could go out that clearly spell out the fact that God is a God of glory and it is seen in all of his perfections. Not just a couple we like to talk about. 
Not just talking about the mercy and love of God, but you know what brings glory to God? His holy and just wrath. Do we realize that we cannot have a highlighted beautiful love of God if we did not have a discussion about the holy justice of God? Let's keep going. Here's another, uh, well, we're going to, go through that passage. But here's another expression, another snapshot of God's glory. God's glory surpasses all earthly time elements. I just want to touch on this. This is a passage that Matt just read a little bit ago. This is beautiful because what this does for me is says it's going to take this discussion on the glory of God and take it completely out of my bubble of understanding. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to understand when it comes to time elements. I mean, if you, I don't know how many of you in here are like reading philosophy, but in almost any philosophy you talk about will at some time interact with time. Why? Because the study of wisdom, we can't wrap our, our minds around time. That's exactly, exactly the same thing when it comes to God's glory. God's glory far outweighs any time element that we try to put God in. Here's a verse, verse 24 and 25 of Jude. He says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory and with great joy, verse 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. And here's the time elements he talks about here in Jude. Before all time, and now, and forever. So when we're talking about the glory of God, brothers and sisters in Christ at Crosspoint, we can't pinpoint God to just simply here and now. God's glory reaches from eternity past all the way into eternity future. God's glory had no beginning and it will have no end. Praise this God. There's many other passages we could go to looking at this, but one quick to bring up is Revelation chapter 4. I love this because we've been talking about glimpses into the throne room of God. Isaiah 6, a glimpse into the throne room of God. Holy, 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 the seraphim are crying out. In Revelation, we get another glimpse of the throne room of God. And, and I'm not going to read all the way through this, but I just want to pinpoint one verse here. Verse 8. And the four living creatures each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, and what do they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. If you want a blessing this week, go through this chapter and see how the glory of God is unfolded in the throne room. Worthy are you, O Lord, verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Okay, what's the simple point that we can take home today? Here it is. God's glory surpasses any kind of time element that we want to place on it, any time stamp we want to place on it. It's no question that our lives are driven by time are they not i'm a very calendar oriented person project lists abound in my life i like to go to my calendar and say yep i've got this aspect and then this aspect and my time my time is very structured and so what happens in my mind is theologically i try to structure god in my thinking 
Well, the fact of the matter is God's glory has no time elements. God's glory reaches from eternity past into eternity future. I want us to go to another aspect of this. And we're going to wrap it up here pretty soon, but this. God's glory is precisely revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as we heard on that video just a minute ago, you can't, you should not go to a passage and study a, a, a passage of scripture if you cannot see how it leads to Jesus Christ. All of the scriptures, it's a story that leads us directly to Jesus Christ. And this glory that's seen in the gospel, the gospel is known as the good news. The whole scripture is unfolding this gospel, but I want us to think of angels this morning. Okay, let's just, you're like, wow, how is that coming in here? <laughs> We've already talked about the seraphim in Isaiah 6, but I want us to think about angels created somewhere in eternity past. We don't know exactly when God created angels, but in my mind, as I read through all the passages on angels, I think that God created a myriad of angels, some of them and most of them, I believe he created for certain times, certain events. I think there was a myriad, what the scriptures call a host of angels that were created for one specific event. I can't say that dogmatically, but I really think as you go through the passage, it, it unfolds that way. What am I talking about? In my mind, I want you to go to a pasture. A pasture in Bethlehem. In, in your mind, I want to go to these shepherds who are out there tending their sheep. And then in your mind, I want you to think of one angel that comes and scares the snot out of these shepherds. He announces, and what's the thing he says? Don't be afraid, I'm sharing you God's glory. These shepherds scared to death. And then all of a sudden, like the light switch turned on. Remember how he said the glory of God in the New Testament, a lot of times it's shown as being bright splendor. Well, I believe in this event it happened. We're not talking about three or four angels. I think the entire sky was lit up with angels, possibly created thousands of years prior to this event, possibly created for just this event. Peter says that the angels watch just confused at the gospel. They're watching God unfold the redemptive story, and they're like, God, why did you, what? His leading through Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David, all the way through the scriptures, and they're looking at it thinking, whoa. They knew they were created for one thing. They knew their time was coming, and then I can only imagine, someday I want to get a replay of this, in the corridors of heaven, when God Almighty comes to the angels and says, hey, host, it's your turn. You're up. <laughs> See those shepherds down there? Go get them. And they surround the shepherds, and in one instant, the skies are filled with the radiance of God. And what is the first thing to come out of their mouths? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. Peace. This is what they announce. Angels created for this moment. And now they proclaim the glory of God. What's the point? The glory of God is seen in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The fact that he came to save our souls. God's glory is highlighted in the scriptures. I mean, our minds can go again to Romans. Romans 3 clearly says something about your state and my state says that when we were born into this, this world, guess what? We fall short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. 
all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We can't interact with God's glory on our own. We needed a substitute. You just travel a couple chapters later. What do you find in Romans chapter 5? Paul answers the question. Here's what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, in other words, you've been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And now here it is. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Remember, we've talked about this several times the last couple of months, that when you talk about hope in the New Testament, it's not wishful thinking, it's confident expectation. And what's Paul saying here? That glory that you fell short of, guess what? Through Jesus Christ, we can interact with the glory of God. We can participate in the glory of God. Um, a lot of other passages we could go to. This week, your homework is to go to Ephesians 1. Because in Ephesians 1, you see this beautiful unfolding of adoption. And what's said in Ephesians 1? Three times. Verse 6, you can see it right here. All of this adoption happens, why? To the praise of his glory. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance in this adoption. Until the redemption of the purchased per, uh, um, possession. Guess what? It's not to make you feel good. It's not to fix every area of your life. It is to give you a right standing before God. It is to be to his praise and his glory. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's glory is seen at Cross Point Community Church as we surround ourselves in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Briefly mention these. God's glory is to be seen in the personal purity of his people. This is more application than descriptive. But how do we interact with the glory of God? Well, listen to what Paul says to this church in Corinth. He says this, flee sexual immorality. <laughs> he just says it right there. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you have been what? You've been bought. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, do what? Put him on display. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now make God's glory visible in everything you do. And if you live a life that isn't consistent with the scripture, guess what you're not doing? You're not giving a proper commercial of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tell you, teens, I love seeing a teen that can stand for Jesus no matter what situation they be, they've been put in. As a teenager, I'm gonna tell you, this is one of the passages that I held too often when I would go to school, when I would go on uh, soccer trips, when I would travel with the wrestling team or the soccer team, when I'd be put into situations where compromise was inevitable, but it wasn't when I held to this verse because I realized, guess what? I've been bought with a price, Jesus' blood. Therefore, I must put him on display. There's more passages we can look at. I mean, we're gonna just fly through Romans 11. Romans 11 because of God's glory, the end of chapter 11, guess what we are to do? Verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. It's what's logical for a believer. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is all of that based on? The glory of God in the last verse of chapter 11. All right, let's look at one other one. God's glory is to saturate all functions of the church. Everything we do here is to be consumed with making God's glory visible. Back to that Romans 12 passage. God's glory in the end of chapter 11, chapter 12, verse 3. For the, by the grace given to me, Paul says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, hey, you're not, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, you're not all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> It's about God's glory, not our own. We're here to put his splendor, to make his splendor visible, not our own splendor. Any kind of uh, manipulated splendor that we think we have. For as one, in verse four, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, through, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let's use them. What is all of that built on? The glory of God. We use the gifts that God's given us for his glory, not our own. I think Paul clearly talks of this in 1 Corinthians. He says this, whether you eat or whether you drink, Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. This is in a discussion in 1 Corinthians that has to do with what's known as Christian liberty. When, when things don't look the same for one believer and the other when it comes to preferences, and Paul says, you know what? Whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, realize it's bigger than you putting yourself on, on display. It's you putting God's glory on display. What's the point? As we think about these aspects. You know what our prayer is? Thinking, praying, talking with the elders. This is our prayer for Cross Point Community Church, that God's glory relates to all three persons of the Trinity, that we hear of the Trinity often here, the glory of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that God's glory pertains to all of his attributes, that when you come to Cross Point Community Church, you hear of God's attributes, all of them, that we don't slice and dice God and say, we want to hear about these, but not about these. You hear of the glory of God in, in complete. God's glory surpasses all earthly time elements. God's glory is precisely revealed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that at Cross Point Community Church, God's glory is seen in the personal purity of the body of Christ. That God's glory changes the way we live, the decisions we make every day. And our prayer is that God's glory saturates all functions of this church. What's the key idea today? Simply enough, God's supreme glory must be our clear motivation for everything we do. Last week we talked about church membership coming down to three things, accountability, organization, and advancement. Well, as we're part of the body of Christ here, our prayer is that God's glory is seen in all organization, all advancement, and all accountability. It's all about God's glory. The North Star of everything we do at Cross Point Community Church is not how massive we can make ourselves look. It's not putting ourselves on the map. It is making visible 
the splendor and weight of an almighty God. So what? So what? Pastor Andrew, you said a ton of words today. <laughs> so how's that going to change the way I walk out of these doors? Well, I want to say this. Here's a question. Are we satisfied in God's supreme glory? Are you satisfied in God's glory? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What brings you most satisfaction when you're recognized? When your splendor is put on display? Or is it when an almighty God's glory is put on display? You know practically what happens when we're most satisfied in the glory of God? I'm going to tell you. It's beautiful when this happens in the body of Christ because it eliminates power trips and selfish quarrels in the body of Christ. You know what? Putting God's glory on display and being all about God's glory does, it enhances authentic worship and sacrificial service. You know what? Putting God's glory on display does in the body of Christ, it minimizes preference and maximizes selfless devotion. That's what the glory of God does in the body of Christ. One other question. Are we committed to promoting God's supreme glory? Are you committed to making God's glory visible? Jesus said this, let your light show so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Think how awesome you are? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's our prayer. In personal purity of heart and devotion. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, this week in every possible way, let us make visible the worth, splendor, beauty and majesty of our almighty God. God, that is our prayer. I pray, God, that everything we do here at Crosspoint Community Church would be motivated by your glory. God, we're, we're so good at being glory stealers. <laughs> to try to place ourselves in a position that would make us look good. I pray, God, that that would not be the case. That we'd not be consumed with being a good commercial of us, but we'd be consumed with being a com good commercial of you and your glory.